0: Oh, Lord, thank you for these wonderful songs that we can utter from our hearts that remind us of the great God that you are. The great God that we worship, and the great God that we marvel in. And we know that during this time in particular, Lord, during Christmas time, we are focusing upon your great work of reconciliation in and through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that this morning that our reflections would be upon Christ— that, Lord, you may by your Spirit work in our hearts to remove distractions, Lord, out of the way so that we would reflect upon him, and Lord, the fact that he is truly the reason for the season. Help us, Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your Word, and that we would walk away from here today, not only having our minds renewed by your truth, but also that we would uh, implement these things into practice so that our lives would be lived for your glory and the exaltation of your Son. We ask you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turning your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23 is our text for this morning. And I thought it was a very fitting passage. Uh, Thought about going to a different passage for, uh, given the fact that we are celebrating Christmas in a few days. But this is a perfect passage, actually, for uh, setting our minds on what is truly most important as we celebrate Christmas. Let me read our text. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 says, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him wholly, And blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. The Lord bless the reading of his word. Well, I trust that you have uh, places that you are uh, planning on... Being at this week in particular with family and friends and um, in some capacity or another, really using those times to reflect upon Christmas time. And I don't know about you, but Christmas time is my favorite time of the year. How many of you could say Christmas is my favorite holiday of the season of the year? Yeah, more than half of you. Right up there with Resurrection Sunday, of course, and Thanksgiving. And um, I love Christmas. Christmas. Uh, I love the memories that come to my mind as I think about the holidays, this particular holiday over the years, uh, even growing up with my own family, uh, times were always very pleasant uh, for the most part, and I remember the fun events that we engaged in, I remember the family gatherings, Uh, even up until now, Christmas time is really the time where my family gets together, my biological family gets together, um, everybody in one place for some great food and some tamales for us or Hispanics. And, um, you know, Christmas brings all kinds of wonderful memories. Uh, who, can, for, who doesn't like Christmas? I mean, who doesn't love the, the lights and going to places where they really, really get crazy, putting all kinds of beautiful lights all over the place? And who doesn't love the, the, the smells of Christmas, right? The trees and the decorations and the fun times with other people that we share and the amazing food. Who can reject that? Uh, Christmas is a wonderful time, even now as a family, uh, thinking back of the different Christmases over the years with our five kids and just remembering them, uh, in their young years and now in their, their teenage years. Uh, Christmas just brings wonderful memories to us of things that we've done together to celebrate and focus upon the Lord. Who can, who doesn't like Christmas in the Christmas concerts, right? We just had a wonderful time with our Christmas concerts where we heard some great music. Some teaching focused upon the, the Lord Jesus Christ and fellowship and all the things that come with Christmas time for us as believers. We cherish those things and we love them. And frankly, beloved, my encouragement to you would be that you would have a blast during Christmas time. That you would enjoy those things. Uh, in and of themselves, those things are wonderful and God has given them to us. They are evidences of His grace. And I think that we are called to enjoy them. But Christmas, Can also become a time for much distraction. Amen? Much distraction. All of us have experienced the busyness and the anxiety that oftentimes comes with Christmas and organizing things and events. How many of us have not uh, experienced at some point or another um, things not going as planned, right? Whether it's family gatherings or parties or whatever. How many of us have not experienced a disappointment of not getting what we want during Christmas time, right? First service, especially the kids and the teenagers said amen to that. Right? <laughs> how many of us haven't experienced um, disappointment and sadness during the holidays, especially Christmas time and New Year's? Uh, how many of us have not, in a time of heightened emotions and feelings and interpersonal relationships, um, experience those conflicts that come when things don't go the way that we want them to go. So we have conflicts with other people where emotions run wild and all of a sudden we find ourselves in, a very, in difficult relationships and in turmoil in those relationships. Um, and those things are very common, are they not? Even for us who are Christians, during what is supposed to be the greatest time of the year, where those things really shouldn't exist in reality, right? but they are part of life. They are part of life. And even Christians can lose sight of the Christ of Christmas. Even Christians can do that because we're not a finished product, are we? We can lose sight and get distracted away from Christ. And it's for this reason that I want to, to, to focus our attention on Colossians one 21 through 21-23. And be reminded this morning that during this busy, fun-filled time of the year, we should not lose focus of Christ. And how fitting that we should land in these verses in particular days before Christmas time, uh, so that we can draw out some of these practical implications uh, from the person and the and the work of the glorious Christ to to frame our perspective and outlook on Christmas time. They're very fitting verses. We have already seen in the context in verses fifteen through twenty. That Christ is supreme in creation and redemption. And now here, verses 21 through 23 are a new sentence, which really focuses on the particular reconciliation of these believers. And if there's anything that Christmas is about, it's God and sinners reconciled, right? That's a wonderful, wonderful reminder. This passage focuses our attention upon that. So as we focus on these verses, 21 through 23, I especially want us to, to view these verses... For all of life, obviously, but also from the perspective of, of Christmas time. We know that these verses are reminders that go far beyond a particular time of the year. But I think that they are, they are especially pertinent during this time of the year that we call Christmas time. And there are some reminders, I think, here that I've gleaned and I wanna, and I want us to look at together to help us stay focused on the Christ of Christmas some reminders that 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 keep us fixated on the one who is the reason for the season that our ground for rejoicing would be in the Lord Jesus Christ and there are three reminders in particular that I want us to look at uh, in these verses all right the first one is this first reminder christmas time provides a wonderful opportunity for you and I to recall our past predicament to recall our past predicament Look at what he says in verse 21. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Paul is going to tell them in verse 22 what God has done. And the focal point will be in verse 22 on the reconciliation that God the Father has accomplished in the lives of these believers. But before they can appreciate with gratitude that which God does in verse 22, they need to be reminded of where they were before of their past predicament, we need to be reminded of the same thing. So that then when we go into verse 22, we might be ready to marvel at the, the, the reconciliation work that God has done in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christmas time, beloved, is a great time to remember where we were in the past. Paul often reminds believers to recall their past predicament. We see that in, in Pauline writings and as well as, as Peter, first and second Peter, where the believers are reminded of the fact that, that they have been delivered from a terrible past, a terrible predicament, not so that they would become paralyzed by their past, but so that Christians would rejoice in what God has done in Christ Jesus. And that's exactly what Paul does here in reminding these, these believers, these Colossian believers of their past, predicament and notice in verse 21 he reminds them that they were formerly alienated this was their condition and our condition our state before god intervened in our lives we were people who were alienated and the sense here is that in our engaging of sin we were moving away from god we were not on friendly terms with god we were enemies of god we were disobedient people and that disobedience, beloved, exposed a lot more than just a lack of external conformity to God's standard. You see, disobedience is not just is not just something that that happens on the outside to us, but it sin alienates us from God. Sin alienates us from Him. It shows and it exposes the fact that we are estranged from God, that we are not mindful of of His standards for our lives, that we, like, we question His goodness. And his mercy toward us, that that which he instructs us to do is what is very much best for us. Sin keeps us from fellowship with God. And Paul says, you were formerly alienated. You were estranged from God. This is is who you were. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, he says this, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That last clause... Having no hope and without God in the world perfectly describes who we were, beloved. We were enemies of God, strangers of God, hostile to God, having nothing to do with Him or caring about His priorities for our lives. And it was real, this estrangement. It was deep. Paul reminds us of our thinking and our mindset that we were hostile in mind. He is not speaking here about the the mind simply as an intellectual organ, but of a person's attitude or disposition toward God. That in our thinking, in our reflections, we were hostile in our minds. This does not mean that we were neutral toward God, you see, in our thinking. Or that we were passive. Some people think that. But the picture here is of, of possessing an active hostility toward God. In our own thinking, we were opposed to Him. Ephesians 2.3 says that we were those who indulged in the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath. Ephesians 4.18 says that we were darkened in our understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is that was in us, because of the hardness of our hearts. It wasn't just that we were ignorant and we didn't choose sin. We ran after sin, beloved. We ran after those things that we desired. We pursued a life of sin. And the very mind that God has given human beings to be a dwelling place of of Godward meditations and reflections upon His majesty, in that very place we were hostile toward Him. And we flesh this hostility of mind, this mindset, in our conducts and our actions. Notice verse 21. We were those who engaged in evil deeds. Engaged in evil deeds. This inner alienation and hostility of mind led to outward evil deeds. Because our actions are the, the natural result of the mindset that is at enmity with God. So those very hateful thoughts and hateful reflections and that, that life without God led us into a life of wickedness and evil deeds. If you remember back in chapter 1 and verse 10, Paul prayed that the Colossian believers would be those who would bear fruit in every good work. Every good work. Those things which are intrinsically beneficial for other people. He prayed for them for that. Well, can I remind us, beloved, that in our former condition, we were doing the exact opposite. Our deeds were evil, base, wicked, worthless. And even those things that you and I can pretend to have been good and done with the best motivation, the scripture says that they were as filthy rags in the sight of God. They did not gain us any acceptance or favor before the Lord. This is who we were before Christ came. How helpful for us. To reflect during Christmas time, beloved, on who we were, that we may be driven to rejoice over what God has done to deliver us. And some people don't like to do that. Some believers even don't like to reflect upon their past. It's too much of a, of a source of bitterness and so much of, so much resentment that is there. And that's understandable on the one hand, right? I remember a few years ago when in college, Uh, We were at a Friday night Bible study with a group of college students. We were all believers, and we were in this circle just talking after the Bible study about reminiscing about our past wickedness, not relishing in the things that we had done, but just talking about, man, look at what God has delivered me from. Can you believe it? Just a few months ago, this is what I was doing, and now I don't even want any part of that. And there was an older believer who was there who at one point uh, jumped in and said, you know what, you guys need to stop that right now. You guys need to stop talking about your past. One thing that I never do is talk, talk or think about my past. Because it weighs me down. It brings me down. And he walks away. And later on that night, I remember talking to him and saying, Well, what do you say about Paul? What would you say about Paul reminding believers at different places in the New Testament of where they were in the past? Not so that they would become paralyzed. Not so that they would, be, that they would uh, have regret and be guilt ridden. Right and be immobile in their Christian life, but he, he reminds them of their past so that they may relish in the present and what Christ has done for them. In that reconciling work and their deliverance in Christ. And so I encourage them, it is good for us to, to reminisce about those things, not so that it would paralyze you, but so that it would cause you to want to praise God all the more for the reconciling work that He has done in your life. See, what happens over time, beloved, is that we can forget where we came from. And then what happens is we lose a sense of gratitude during a time like this, during a time like Christmas. And we forget about the fact that at one time we were wicked and sinful and at enmity with God. And we somehow over time have convinced ourselves that we were not really as bad as the next person sitting in the pew next to us. That God really didn't have to work as hard to save us. You see? That can happen to us. Amen? Amen? That can happen. And we can compare ourselves to other people. Well, I did not do the actions, the bad things someone else did. And we can always find someone else who wasn't as bad as us. But the reality of it is, is that Scripture tells us that we were by nature children of wrath. And then we proved it in the very way that we live, in the thoughts that we have, in the words that we speak. But we were from the womb estranged, you see. Psalm fifty-one. David says that that in sin my mother conceived me from the very womb, beloved. We have been we have a, uh, we have this sinful nature, and then in our experience in history we we show that and we prove that in the fact that we run after wickedness, we don't seek God. Romans three ten says that no one seeks God, no one does. We all have turned aside. We all have become useless. There's none who seeks for God, not even one. You see, a recognition of our past predicament leads us to realize how hopeless you and I really were, beloved. And then we are driven to to be full of gratitude this Christmas season and we're we're chomping at the bits to seize the moment to tell others uh, who are in the same condition, in the same terrible predicament about Christ, you see. It propels us to share about Christ. People often think that they are either victims of their past, helpless victims of their upbringing, helpless victims of past experiences, of the society around them, that they are ignorant and innocent, and that's the problem. That is not what Scripture tells us. What Scripture tells us here is that we were wicked enemies of God, and we pursued these things. And maybe, yeah, you didn't flesh out in your life The fullness of your depravity like somebody else might have. But at the end of the day, beloved, you were just as wicked as anybody else. And the potential and the capacity for you to pursue sin was just as bad as anybody else. Were it not for the sustaining grace of God, you would have done those exact same things. And there may be someone sitting in here this morning who you know that you are in this condition. God is working in your heart and you know that you're a sinner by nature. You know that since you were born, you've been fleshing these things out. You know that you're an enemy of God, that you're hostile to Him. Can I encourage you today that reconciliation with God by faith in Christ is what Christmas is all about? That you can have hope but that hope is only found in the Christ of Christmas. So can I encourage you to cry out to God, to confess your sins, to confess to God that you are a sinner and you are broken before Him and you need Him and there's no way that based upon your good works you can find acceptance before this holy God. Can I encourage you that the Christ of Christmas has come and there's forgiveness found in Him? My friend, I pray that you would find Christ or that Christ would find you this during this time. That you may have hope. And for the rest of us, let's ask God this Christmas time as we reflect upon our past. To help us to grow in gratitude and joyful thanksgiving for what He has done in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because for we who are Christians, the reminder of where we were outside of Christ, beloved, should propel us to praise, to adoration, to joyful thanksgiving. Amen? Secondly, second reminder is this. Celebrate your present standing. Celebrate your present standing. Christmas provides us with a wonderful opportunity for you and I to celebrate our present standing. Look at the huge contrast in verse 22 from who we were to what God has done. And verse 22 is all about what God has done in Christ Jesus. Verse 22, yet He, that is God the Father, has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death. In order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Beloved, you want to know what Christmas is all about? Christmas is all about reconciliation. Uh, the reconciliation of sinners with Almighty God. Just as the song says, God and sinners reconciled. And once again here in verse 22, Paul points out the reconciliation that God has done in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. The same verb for reconcile that appeared in verse 20. That he accomplished a thorough reconciliation, a complete reconciliation. And what is what does it mean to reconcile somebody? But to make peace between two opposing parties, to remove an offense, to remove an offense that keeps you from being at peace with somebody else. You want to celebrate something this Christmas? Celebrate the fact that though you were an enemy of God, God intervened to deliver you from the domain of darkness and transfer you into the kingdom of His beloved Son. That's what He has done, beloved, for you and I. You know, the human heart cries out for justice in human relationships, does it not? Somebody offends us, and what do we expect from that person who offends us? We expect an apology. We expect them to come and confess their sin to us. We expect them to come and ask for our forgiveness. Because after all, they offended us. When you look at the gospel and you look at verse 22, the reality of it is is that God, the one who was offended, initiated reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.18 and following says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. But wait a minute. We offended Him. We were His enemies. Why does God intervene to do this for us? We were the ones who offended Him. We were the ones that were estranged away from Him, pursuing wickedness, hostile in our minds, performing evil deeds that we know are against Him, our Creator, because inside each and every one of us, we know that there is a Creator and there's a standard to live by, and we reject that standard. And yet God has intervened, beloved, to, to be the one who is now our friend because of what He has done in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to celebrate something this Christmas? Celebrate the reconciliation of God in Christ Jesus. That's what He has done. The offended one pursued those who offended Him all the while we were kicking and screaming in disdain for Him. I still remember one of my little boys, when they were, they were just toddlers... Sitting across one, one, one day uh, in a room from my little guy who I just learned to crawl. And he started heading over to the electric socket. And he was going to go stick his finger inside of the electric socket. And I remember yelling from across the room, Hey, don't touch that. You're going to get electrocuted. Don't touch it. And of course, he was still going to do it. Ran over there, grabbed them. I mean, he was yelling and screaming and kicking his arms and throwing, doing all kinds of crazy fits. I just saved his life for crying out loud, right? He realizes later the reason why he was here in first service is because I saved his life at that point, right? (laughs) Listen, God reconciles sinners who were kicking and screaming and fighting all the while in disdain toward him. And yet because of his great love and his mercy, he reconciled you to himself, beloved. What glorious truth that is. What glorious truth that is. And it didn't come free, did it? Last week we saw this a little bit. In verse 22, Paul reminds us again that He has now reconciled you in His, that is Christ's, fleshly body through death. This is another way of saying in Christ's human body, reconciliation came at a high price and that price was the atoning sacrifice of the incarnated Son of God. Christmas time, beloved, is a time to remember that God in the person of the Son came down to tabernacle amongst us that he may die for us. That was his mission specifically, to come and die, to redeem us. Think about that. You know, we've been looking at, at verses 15 through 20. This beautiful mountain peak of theology. And the whole focus of verses fifteen and twenty, I probably have repeated it a five hundred times in the last four sermons, and you're probably getting sick and tired of hearing me say this. Christ is supreme and preeminent over creation and redemption. That's who He is. And that one, the eternal Son of God, is the one who came to initiate reconciliation on our behalf, to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins. The one who, verse 16 of chapter 1 says, that by Him all things were created. In other words, everything depends upon Him. He is the divine architect of creation, if you will, who carried out the Father's plans. He is the agent of creation. Verse 16 says, all things have been created through Him. He is the goal and the heir of all things. Verse 16 says all things have been created for him, for him. The one who is before all things. The eternal, preexistent one. The one who is the sustainer in verse 17. It says there that in Him all things hold together. This unrivaled Lord of the universe. This amazing, victorious Savior. He is the one who willingly, beloved, willingly limited Himself and clothed Himself with flesh and became human being that we may call Christmas Happy Incarnation Day. Right? And rejoice in this one who has come in the flesh to die for your sins. Undeserving sinners that we are. That preeminent, supreme Lord of the universe, who is the Son of God, in verses 15 through 20, is the one who condescended to wrap himself with humanity. Think about that, beloved. And that is something to celebrate, isn't it? That is something to celebrate. But not only did he condescend in clothing himself with humanity in his incarnation, but he, he condescended even lower than that. Because according to Philippians chapter two, verses five through nine, he condescended even lower by becoming obedient, it says, to the point of death. And even further than that, even death on a cross, says Paul. You want to know how far he condescended? The eternal Son of God, the Supreme One of the universe, He clothed Himself with humanity, and then He came to die here on this earth, subject Himself to men who put Him on the cross, and He suffered. And not only that, He did it on a cross for crying out loud. On the cross, a symbol of, of shame for the worst of criminals. That's how far Christ condescended. Let us celebrate that Christ of Christmas, beloved who condescended to that extreme. One pastor has written this, quote, So it was not the incarnation alone... But his atoning death, even on the cross, that accomplished reconciliation for us. Christ and his humanity bore the penalty of our sins and made a perfect atonement for those sins. This is the manner by which the reconciliation was accomplished. This is how peace between sinners such as us and God was affected. The offense was removed because of Christ. It was placed upon Christ. Peace was made possible and reconciliation finished." End quote. And for what purpose? For what purpose did he turn the tide, beloved? Look at verse 22. In order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, That is completely the opposite of verse 21. In verse 21, we are those who are estranged from God. We are enemies of God, hostile in our minds. We're pursuing wickedness and evil deeds. And in verse 22, God reconciles us so that we would be holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And that does describe something that is, in fact, true now. And the culmination will be in reality will be in the future. That we will stand holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. It is a present truth but the culmination of that standing before God is soon to come in the future, in that future eschatological day when we stand before Christ. So what has He done? He's reconciled us to Himself that we would be holy, set apart from sin, unto righteousness, that we would be blameless, blameless, that word was used of, a, of the absence of defect on an animal for sacrifice. We are spotless before him because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And we're beyond reproach, which meant irreproachable. Somebody who was free of charge or accusation. First Corinthians 1.8 says that in the end, believers will be confirmed blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of these terms holy, blameless, beyond reproach, speak of the fact that now we have a present standing before God by which we are reconciled and at peace with God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that something to celebrate? That we are no longer enemies of God? And we are protected by Him. We have this sure confidence that if God chose us in Christ, we will stand on that glorious day accepted before Him. Ephesians 1.4 says that He, God, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Jude 24 says this, Now to Him, that is God, who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. Rejoice and celebrate, beloved, that no matter what circumstances or difficulties you face during this Christmas time, you, if you are in Christ, you stand blameless before him. Holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And because you're protected by the power of God for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, your salvation is secure in Christ. Amen? Secure. Secure. And we can rejoice in that. No matter how bad things get, right? Growing up, I was adopted into a a family. I had four siblings. And I remember that growing up, I mean, our parents splurged on us as far as gifts go. I mean, average, the Hernandez kids growing up, not my Hernandez kids, but this family that I was a part of, had anywhere from 10 to 20 gifts under the tree. Every Christmas I remember that, especially uh, when I first joined them. Every Christmas... I think a couple of us even broke the 20s one one year. We had 20-something gifts under that tree. I mean, our parents splurged upon us. But there was one particular Christmas where we were having some very difficult financial uh, burdens, and my dad and mom sat us down and said, Hey, guys, this Christmas is very, very hard financially. This thing has happened, and this thing has happened, and I've been cut back on hours. This Christmas, everybody is going to get one gift. One gift. Yeah, I mean, we were devastated and a couple of us started crying. How could it be? I mean, isn't Christmas all about the gifts after all, right? Total loss of perspective. You know what? That Christmas was the best Christmas growing up for me. The best Christmas. We got one gift, and my dad, who never led devotionals, never, I don't remember him doing this any other time, but that one Christmas, he led a three to five, six, seven minute devotional where he focused our attention on the greatest gift of all, the Lord Jesus Christ. It was clear, it was precise, it was very heartfelt because he saw us and, and he saw that we were, we were not going to get everything that we wanted. It was the best Christmas. And even though I was not a Christian at the time, it left an indelible impression upon my heart that Christ was the reason for celebration. He, all, he was then and he is today. He always is no matter what's going on around us. And Christmas, beloved, provides us with a great opportunity to recall our past predicament so that we celebrate our present standing, that it's all about the exalted Christ and what He has done. See, it is not that we should ponder our past so that we may wallow in guilt and so that it paralyzes us in the present. We ponder the past to celebrate and marvel at what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Amen? That God and sinners are reconciled. That because God in the person of the Son became human, He lived the perfect life that we could never live, perfectly fulfilling the Father's four requirements on our behalf, He did that. And then having perfectly fulfilled His Father's will, perfect obedience, Christ became the spotless Lamb who suffered on the cross and took upon the fullness of the Father's wrath for our personal sins. As the song says, on that Christ that Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. That's what happened. That's what Jesus did. And then three days later, the Son of God, the Christ of Christmas, rose from the dead victorious over sin and death. That, beloved, is something to celebrate. And something to rejoice in. And it was all because of the Father's initiative to reconcile sinful humans to Himself. And how glorious the truth that we who have believed in Christ are now forgiven in Christ. United in Him. We're children of God. That's what what the Christ of Christmas has done. And we should celebrate God's deliverance of us, beloved, that now we are accepted before him. Christ is the ground of our rejoicing so that even if you're going through financial strains or interpersonal conflicts or struggles with family, times of sensitivity and emotionalism running rapid all over the place with different individuals, beloved, focus your attention on the Lord Jesus Christ and celebrate what he has done in Christ Jesus. Celebrate what he has done. Don't shortchange yourself. Of that wonderful, wonderful reality. And I want to ask you this morning is Christ Savior of your life? Is Christ Savior of your life? Is is Christ as Lord and Savior of your life what Christmas is all about for you? Have you been reconciled to your Maker? Have you bowed to the King this Christmas? Have you turned from your sins? Have you confessed your sins? And have you trusted in King Jesus, who is the only basis of forgiveness and acceptance before God the Father? Have you done that? See, because when you belong to Him, those circumstances may not be favorable and finances are not there or life goals have not come to fruition and your life is full of despair and disappointment. At the end of the day, if you, cry, if you have Christ, you have it all. He is sufficient for it all. And he is the one that grants us hope. And that's my third point. My third point is this. I want to remind us that Christmas is a wonderful time for you and I to relish in our future hope. To relish in our future hope. We've seen that Paul has reminded them of their past predicament in verse 21 so that they might celebrate their present standing in verse 22. And finally, he reminds them to relish in their future hope. And this future hope in verse 23 is found in the gospel of which Christ is the centerpiece of this gospel. And Paul calls them to this via a warning in verse 23. He warns them. Notice what it says in verse 23. If indeed... You continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. We're going to see this verse in particular more in depth in the weeks ahead. But at first glance, what Paul says in verse 23 may seem like Paul is questioning whether they will continue in the faith based upon his wording. But this is not the case. Verse 23 is what grammarians call a first-class conditional statement. And in a first-class conditional statement, the author is expressing confidence and certainty that something, in fact, is the case. In other words, Paul is not doubting that the Colossians will continue in the faith, but he's expressing confidence that they will, in fact, continue in the faith. Later on, he expresses this confidence at various points. But in chapter 2, verse 5, he says that, they, that he, he's rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. So Paul is concerned for them, but he knows and he's confident that they will, in fact, continue moving forward. See, the warnings in Scripture are meant to essentially say to us as believers, don't even go there. Don't even go there. That is harmful for you. Don't even question the fact that Christ is sufficient for your life. Don't even go there and the genuine believer will obey, will he not? Ultimately, the genuine believer will persevere to the end by the power of the Spirit of God. And he or she will walk in obedience to the Lord. Paul's concern is real here for the Colossians. From genuine concern, he instructs them not to lose sight of Christ. And it is by way of warning that he encourages them to continue to persevere in the faith. To persevere in Christ. To hold on to Christ. So while he's confident that they will continue in the faith, he's genuinely warning them to do so. And he exhorts them to persevere in the faith both positively and negatively in verse 23. I want you to see this very briefly. On the positive side, in verse 23, he wants them to remain firmly established. Remain in the gospel, firmly established. And the image here is hear is of laying the foundation of a building. And the, the tense of the verb here, a perfect tense, indicates that God has already firmly established them. This is very significant. In other words, this is not something that Paul is asking the Colossians to do for themselves first and foremost. God has already firmly established them, and they have the responsibility to remain faithful in the faith to continue in what God has done for them. To hold on to Christ. Think about the bigger picture in the, in the book of Colossians. Over and over again he says, Don't go wayward. Don't settle for counterfeits. The substance is Christ. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul is exhorting them here to relish in the hope that they have in the gospel. That God has already firmly established them and they are to continue and remain faithful in that particular standing before Almighty God. He also says, and steadfast, which means fixed in purpose, firm, immovable in their convictions concerning Christ, And what they hold to be true in the gospel, he says, stay firm, stay fixed upon the gospel of hope. Then on the negative side, Paul says, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. In other words, don't drift away. Don't drift away from what you know that you believe in, from what has been proclaimed to you. And notice, any opportunity that Paul gets to start showing the beautiful diamond of the gospel from different angles, he does it, and he does it here again. He highlights some beautiful truths regarding the gospel so that they will continue to hold on to the gospel. And I would say to us during Christmastime, beloved, hold on to Christ. Hold on to Christ. Where other philosophies are being promoted and propagated and other sources of hope in this world, hold on to Christ Hold on to him. Notice that he says in verse twenty-three, he says the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel. The gospel is the only source of hope. He said in chapter one verse five, he thanked God there because in the gospel the Colossians have a hope laid up for them in heaven. In chapter one verse twenty-seven, he Christ Christ he calls Christ a hope of glory. In the gospel is the only hope. He says cling. Continue in this gospel, in both content and belief. Verse 23 says, this gospel that you've heard, you've heard, Epaphras has delivered it to you. You've embraced it. You believed it. Paul says, continue in it. Don't move away from the hope of the gospel that is familiar to you. This is the gospel which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, he says in verse 23. He has already spoken in chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, about the universal nature and impact of the gospel. And eventually he does that again here. From Paul's perspective, the gospel has been proclaimed to the greater parts of the earth and that it has reached Rome, the center of the Roman Empire. He is incarcerated in Rome when he writes this letter. Paul has preached this message, as well as others, all over Asia Minor. And his point is that the gospel is not some obscure or mysterious message. The gospel is not some small enterprise. It is a great enterprise. A fruitful enterprise. In chapter 1 verse 6 he says that the gospel is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. It's growing. Paul essentially is telling them this is not some rinky dink message here with no credibility, no power, no influence over people. We're talking about the gospel that has been proclaimed all over the world and is continually bearing fruit. Colossians, don't abandon it. Hold on. Continue in the faith. Continue in the hope of the gospel. And in the broader context of Colossians, beloved, they are to relish in this gospel. Because in Christ, they are complete, are they not? They are complete. Finally, in verse 23, he says that this is the gospel that he himself is a minister of, a diaconess, a servant. And that Statement there of Paul being a servant, a minister of the gospel sets up the following passage that we're going to be looking at in the weeks and months ahead. Listen, what Paul does in verse 23 is is encourage the Colossians to remember what they have in the gospel so that they would relish in the riches and hope that they have in Christ. Isn't that part of why in the context he went into verses 15 through 20? to show them the the elevated view of Christ, who He is and all of His glory, so that they would not settle for counterfeits, that they would relish in Christ, that they would see Him for who He is. And in verse 23, he says, In light of who He is, you continue in the faith. Continue in the faith. Relish in this one that you have. Beloved, Christmas is a great time For us to relish in our future hope because of Christ. And as the Colossians, in in their case, there are going to be competing things to your anchoring your hope on Christ. Even during this crazy season, right? Not only related to the Christmas season, but also just generally, generally in life. Things are going to compete for your affections. To drive you away from Christ. From relishing in your relationship with Him. Things that rob Christ of His sufficiency in your heart and life that demand your attention and plead for your allegiance and your devotion. But what we are reminded of here is this, that the incarnated, risen, exalted Christ, that now Paul calls him to continue in, is the one that is to be our source of rejoicing. Amen? He is to be the source of our rejoicing. And my prayer for anyone who is here, and you have not given your life to Christ, I pray that this Christmas season may be the the season that you come to know Christ. That you may rejoice in the Christ of Christmas. You want to talk about gifts this morning? There's no greater gift than God's gift during this time of Christ. Of His Son. I love John 3.16, don't you? I never get tired of quoting that verse. I never get tired of meditating upon that verse. You want to talk about gifts? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life and you say but you don't know how bad of a sinner i am you don't know how bad how, how wicked i am i don't even want to put my wickedness up on the screen for you guys to look at because maybe that would change your mind about this loving god my friend it will not change god's mind All of us are estranged from the womb. All of us are totally and completely depraved and absolutely capable of any kind of sin. There is no sin that God cannot deliver you from, that he can't forgive you from. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't seek out righteous people, righteous in their own works. He seeks out people who are broken and contrite over their sin. Who know that they have nothing, nothing in the bank to boast of. And who come and say, Lord, I have a a blank slate here. All I have is my sin. And he says, I'll exchange your sin, your sin for my son's righteousness. He is more than able to do that, my friend. I pray that this Christmas will be the Christmas in 2015 that you look back and you say, at that time, God reconciled me to himself by faith in Christ. I pray that that would be you. But it's going to cost you everything, isn't it? It's going to cost you that you lay down your life at the foot of the cross and that you ask God to forgive you of your sin and your rebellion, that you humbly receive His gift of forgiveness found only in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Christ of Christmas. It's going to cost you everything. But that's okay, right? Because we have eternal joy someday with Him. Past the pleasures of this world that are quickly passing away, that are fading away. We will be with Him forever because of Christ. May we give heed to these three reminders, beloved, to help us stay focused upon Christ. Recall your past predicament so as to celebrate your present standing in Christ. And may we be people who relish in our future hope all because God has visited us in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus truly is the reason for the season. Amen? And I pray that He would be the ground of our rejoicing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Oh Lord, what rich words here. What unfathomable activity by You, Lord, that we will never understand how it is that You, a loving, gracious, merciful God, could have crushed Your own Son on the cross, satisfying Your wrath, Fulfilling your perfect justice for us sinners. Father, I pray that during this Christmas season and beyond, Lord, beyond just this time, that Christ would be our greatest focal point. I pray that we would exalt Him. I pray that, Lord, we would rejoice during this time in the Christ of Christmas. I pray that, Lord even rejoicing in him and remembering who we were and what you've done in Christ and the hope that we have would would propel us, Lord, to want to share Christ with others that we may never forget that such were some of us, Lord, the immoral and the sinful and the hateful ones and the ones who were hostile toward you. But we were washed, but we were sanctified. Lord, help us to have mercy toward others as you've displayed mercy toward us, that we would share Christ and share the hope of him to other people. And we ask you all of these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.